Hello and welcome to Poetry Blokes, the podcast where one bloke likes poetry and the other doesn't. I'm Matthew Adamo, failed novelist, third-rate poet, and now a beleaguered poetry teacher. And I'm Rich Gochran, a moderately successful engineer and lifelong lover of things that actually matter, like football, cricket, and the ability to make stuff out of wood. I don't hate poetry, but I do think it's a loss of words, in a confusing order, to say very little. Join us in this series of podcasts as we rummage into the recesses of Rich's mind, pull forth any literary force that may be lying dormant, and see if the world's most literal man can acquire the soul of a poet. He doesn't even believe in souls, so I've got my work cut out already. In this week's episode, we're looking at Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. Was brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the burrogoves, and the momraths outgrabe. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird, and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand, long time the manxome foe he sought. So rested he by the tum-tum tree, and stood a while in thought. And, as in uffish thought, he stood, the jabberwock, with eyes of flame, came whiffling through the tolgy wood, and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. And hast thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O frabjous day, kalu, kalay, he chortled in his joy. Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the burrogoves, and the momraths outgrabe. So, Rich, what's that all about? Well, 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 Matt. Called Jabberwocky. Should really be called Jabberwotty. <laughs> or more accurately, so Jabber, dumb. what the fuck is that all about? E? <laughs> <laughs> Mixed feelings on this one. Mixed mm-hmm. feelings. Honestly, mixed feelings was better than I thought we were going to get. I'm not sure how I feel on it yet. I think I hate it. <laughs> but over the last few weeks, months, I've become slightly more open-minded about these sort of things. And so I try and reserve my final judgment until we've spoken. But the first time I read it through, I hated it. I was like, this is absolute nonsense. And I did that thing where I just skim read it because I was like, there's nothing in this for me. I read it really quickly. I was like, nah, nonsense. It was a complete waste of everybody's time. And then I went through it in a bit more detail. And I was able to start picking out a few bits and pieces. So general vibe of the poem. His USP for this poem is that it's a load of old nonsense. It quite literally is a nonsense poem. It is referred to as a nonsense poem. Right, that's a good description for what it is. Because it is nonsense. Now... Is that something to be reveled in? Is that something to celebrate? I'm not sure. <laughs> Could any old idiot write a nonsense poem? Well, I don't know, because the thing with this nonsense poem is that you can understand it, even though it's nonsense. Yeah, because you, you understand it, because he's... All right, let's, we'll get into this in a minute. But basically, right, it's the dad talking to his son, and he's warning him about a monster, or a beast of some sort. Which is called? Which is called the Jabberwock. Which is annoying, it's not called the Jabberwocky. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's like the poem title is about the quality of Jabberwockness. Mm, would you say it's interesting or irritating? 
<laughs> uh, I'd say it's something for analysis. Yeah, it's something I would an- analyze further if I weren't on a slightly time restricted podcast. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there's no time restrictions here, Matt. Well, there is actually. I like to. <laughs> yeah, the, we like to keep like record to, under an hour if we can. I like to think our listeners have other things to do in their lives because it makes me feel better about the whole thing. But if you do want to hear a ninety-minute rant on any particular topic, <laughs> just let us know because because <laughs> me and Rich are ready. Yeah. So, do you want to hear my note on the first stanza? Oh, absolutely. I've just written nonsense, comma, hate it. <laughs> anything more I could get out of you on that? No, because it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make any sense about anything. It's just completely... What's the mood of that first stanza? Don't know. Don't care. <laughs> don't know, don't care. <laughs> Which is no, it's no way to start your poem. Don't put me on edge. <laughs> Edgy poetry. Ease um, me in. Twas brillig. Mm-hmm. Would you have a guess about what that would be? What would it even be referring to, let alone, let's leave what Brillig is to one side, but what is this first stanza doing, or what is it referring to? Is Lewis Carroll English? Yes. Well, he's talking about the weather then. Absolutely. Well, the weather, he's talking about the environment, yes. He's so, setting, yeah. so he's setting the scene. He's, he's opening up. And it is exactly what he's doing. He's setting the scene. And the scene is Brillig. It's a Brillig scene. He's setting the scene. He's just doing it like a... <laughs> <laughs> So what's the immediate feeling that you get from this scene? I'm going to read the first stanza again. Okay. We'll take it down. Let's hey, go to brass tacks. When you read it to me, I'm going to close my eyes. Okay, great. At the end of it, I want you to say, is it a positive scene or a negative scene? Okay. Okay? Yeah. Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre in gimbal in the wabe. All mimsy were the borough goves, and the momraths outgrabe. Well, I mean, you read it in like an upbeat way, so I'm guessing it's upbeat. It's a positive... Like a Hobbits in the Shire sort of scenario. Exactly. That is exactly what it is. But I got that it's, more uh, from the way you read it. Because when I first read it, it got a stormy coastal vibe is what I got. And what words gave the stormy coastal vibe feeling to you? Well, toves is a bit like coves. Yep. Wabe. I don't know, really. That just sounded nautical to me. <laughs> Straight in. Because that's like your first, I mean, port of call. Yeah, I say. Uh, <laughs> for most things there. I, I would say that. Gyre and gimbal made me think of a gyroscope and a gimbal. So things that were rocking and moving, right? Yeah. I thought that a brillig seems to be related to brilliant. So, you know, it was loveliness. The slithy toves did gyre and gimbal in the wave. I feel like that's uh, something frolicking in a meadow type vibe. Okay. Mimsy is quite a positive word. I'll give you that one. Yeah, Mimsy's got like a sort of cutesy vibe, like a small animal type vibe. Yeah. So all Mimsy were the Burrogoves. So, okay, Burrogoves are small things maybe. And the Momraths outgrabe. Yeah, so outgrabe made me think of Abu Ghraib. <laughs> the uh, infamous Iraqi prison. So that probably had something to do with my negative thoughts. That will do it for you. Mm, not a positive place, that. Unlike an Iraqi prison, Lewis Cowell has painted a decidedly more positive scene. In the first stanza. And then what's happening in the second stanza? There's a slight clue there with the punctuation. It's a father speaking to his son, and he's giving a warning. The jaws that bite, the claws that catch. He then goes on to warn him of two other animals, the jub-jub and the bandersnatch. So I thought, oh, bloody hell, he's got three animals here on his hands that he's going to have to deal with. We hear sight nor sound of the other two after this first sentence. This brings me back to my usual thing about word count. <laughs> he just had to pad that stanza out. He was like, I'll throw in two more animals, but I won't actually mention them again. Well, I think in the third stanza, 
He says, he took his vorpal sword in hand. Long time the manxome foe he sought. So it says he's only seeking one of the foes, and it's the manxome one. So I can only assume that in that case, the manxome foe is the biggest or the most furious or the most pestilent, (laughs) the most annoying of the foes. What's the definition of the word manxome? I think it's a nonsense word. Right, so it's not something that's from the Isle of Man. (laughs) Like a TT. Well, yeah, Manx. You know, anything that's Manx is from from the Isle of Man, isn't it? So, are you trying to imply that the inhabitants of the Isle of Man may be the inspiration for the Jabberwocky? No, no, I'm implying that this whole thing takes place on the Isle of Man. That's another part of this country that you can't visit anymore. <laughs> Working my way through them. I'm not slagging off the Isle of Man. Never been actually. Never been. I was just drawn there by the word Manx. I thought maybe this whole thing is happening in, on the Isle of Man. Longest unbroken Parliament. In the world, I believe. The Isle of Man. Really? I thought that was Iceland. I think it might be the Isle of Man, because the Civil War, <laughs> they just didn't get to the Isle of Man. <laughs> Civil just didn't War didn't worry them. about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You can see why. I'm a bit disappointed that we didn't get to see more of the Froomius Bandersnatch, which I think sounds great. Mm, yes. I'd like to see a Bandersnatch just frooming about, being Froomius. <laughs> what kind of animal do you think a Bandersnatch is? Oh, a Frumius Bandersnatch. I don't know, but I, I think it's a... It, well, it's got snatch in the... So I reckon it's like a graspy little <laughs> beggar. It's got little claws. It just likes to grasp things. But it's Frumius, so it's all like all over the place and angry. Angry hand monster. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And then the Jub-Jub bird. We don't really care about the Jub-Jub bird. That sounds like an idiot. I, I reckon the Jub-Jub bird is just like a big fat bird, but it like dive bombs you. And if it dive bombs you and hits you, it knocks you out because it's just really big and fat. Oh, no, I think it's flightless. I think it's just oh, like yeah, an, okay. an angry dodo. That's what I've got in mind. Do you reckon it's like really annoying? It's just like a big fat bird that tries to steal your food. And then like when you tell it to sling its hook, it just makes honking sounds at you. Yeah. And you're like, oh, just go away. You're so annoying. Yeah, that's, exactly, that's exactly what it is. And then its mates turn up and you're like, ah. Six jub jub birds. And every time you turn around, there's more of them. You think, oh, man, yeah. I hate the jub jub bird. Such a bell end. <laughs> I've never <laughs> met one, but I absolutely hate them. <laughs> Found out about them today, and I absolutely despise them. I absolutely hate them. So the dad is right here. He's saying, beware the jub jub bird, because once they find your food source, you can't get rid of them. Of those three, I think the jub jub bird is the worst. <laughs> so you're happy to keep let the jabberwock, you know, just stay out of the jabberwock's way, stay out of yours. Well, it's one of my big problems with this poem, Matt. What's that? It's, it seems unnecessarily aggressive. We don't understand the Jabberwock story. No, What's we don't. We've got background? no. Well, there's, there's no context to this, right? So I don't know where they're living. I don't know why his dad is warning him about the Jabberwock. What's the Jabberwock done in the past? Has it maimed? Has it been stealing cattle? Has it snuck in at the night and and eaten an old lady? What's the? It's imposed for unfair taxes on the local populace. <laughs> Do you know how often you mention unfair taxes on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because I like the idea of some warrior in the Shire going after someone for just <laughs> trying to levy irrita- a tax they, on, on grain they felt exorbitant. Irritating civil servants. <laughs> oh, it's just so. Ugh, I hate this penury. So this young warrior, we assume young warrior, takes his vorpal sword. Yeah, well, he doesn't really heed his dad's warning, does he? Because his dad's saying, beware the Jabberwock, and the first thing he does is grab his sword and go looking for it. That's the opposite of bewaring it. That's quite true, yeah. That's, you know, 
wearing it. As his father listed off the various animals to be wary of, the son was just counting them out. He's like, all right, one, Jabberwock, then two, Jub-Jub Bird, three, Bandersnatch. Number one on his list was the Jabberwock. Mm. He's headstrong. He's not been wearing anything at all. He's taken his Vorpal sword, which I can only assume is some sort of magically charmed sword mm. or specially constructed sword to put an end to the Jabberwock and its reign of hideous terror. draconian scheme of taxation. Yeah. <laughs> it took him a long time to find the uh, Jabberwock, nonetheless. Long time, the Manxum foe he sought. But we skip over what happened in that long time, other than to say that he rested by a tree. So he's given it the big I am. He's taken the warning from his dad, and he's basically said to his dad, up yours, I'm grabbing my sword, I'm going after this. So he's been giving it the big one, and he walks out, and he's gone for some time, but most of that time he's spent underneath a tree, resting. I'm not paying 29.4% on my earnings any longer. <laughs> this Jabberwock <laughs> must leave. I'm not paying a tax on a window. I should drive him out with my sword of taxation justice, my vorpal sword. Yeah, so he's hanging around in this wood, we can assume, and he's resting by the tum-tum tree, which again is not explained, but all we need to know is that it doesn't exist in our reality. Uh, and he stood there a while thinking. Thinking about what? Well, the quality of his thinking was uffish. So what do you think uffish thought? There's a chap with a sword leaning against a tree on his way to kill some sort of beast who may or may not be levying attacks on the populace. And after he's slightly tired out from looking for so long, he stands against the tree in uffish thought. What would uffish thought be for you? Um, I love how painful a child's poem is for you. I just... The idea of like just um, imagining. like If you ask a child, you'd be like, wow, you know, he's gone hunting for a monster with a sword and he hasn't found him and he's having a think. And what, what do you think uffish thinking is? Kids would be like, yeah, it's this, this, this. And Richard's like, for fuck's sake, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, the kids are... <laughs> You had to say kids are stupid yeah, and stop yourself. I was yourself. about to say that, yeah. I don't mean that. Kids are great. I've just suppressed my imagination to such an extent now. I'm just not willing to engage with this sort of thing. This frivolity. I mean, uffish sounds similar to oafish. So maybe he's just a thug. He comes across as a thug. He's just thinking about killing he's just fixated on being the big man killing the jabberwock and being able to brag about it so he's a thicko basically i thought uffish thought would be like a mixture of tired and anxious like oh, i'm trying to find him but i'm knackered and i can't find him that's the thing about this poem isn't it neither one of those answers is correct rich doesn't like multiple meanings for anything by the way if you're just tuning in and you've never heard this before it's just no point making something so ambiguous as to mean nothing it's just completely pointless. But it can mean different things to different people. If we all did that all the time, where would we be? What's the point? We'd be in a right mess. If, if everything had... Maybe you're the Jabberwock. Meaning. Maybe this is what the Jabberwock is thinking. And he's like, look, <laughs> these people just have to accept this tax. <laughs> there is no divergence of point of view here. We I've need got, it. We need, no, no, we need no, to raise I've, funds. I've got no problem with there being a divergence of point of view. I've got no problem with there being an argument. What I've got a problem with is unnecessary ambiguity. Explain yourself, sir. If you want to tell a story, tell a story. Don't let us do all the legwork. Sort of cracks on with the story, because as he's hanging around by the tree, the old Jabberwock turns up with eyes of flame and comes whiffling through the Tolgi wood and burbled as it came. Yep, fine. 
So it sounds incensed and burbly. It does. Eyes of flame. So he's sort of painting it out to be the bad guy, but actually so far I can't help but think the Jabberwock's actually the good guy. If the Jabberwock is the one who owns this wood and this guy's rocking around the place, coming to his area, why shouldn't he come uh, whiffling through the Tolgi wood? And he can burble all he wants, as far as I'm concerned. There's nothing wrong with burbling. Well, unfortunately, this young warrior thinks there is something wrong with burbling, and he just runs him through with his vorpal blade. Straight through. Bang. One, two, one, two, and through and through, the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. No, it didn't. Nothing goes snicker-snack. Not a ridiculous thing to say. Given how much the Jabberwock has been built up as being an absolute monster, and that it should be aware of it, he kills it incredibly easily, doesn't he? Just two slashes of the blade, and he's done. Yeah. Two slashes. There you go, he's left it dead. And with two slashes, he's managed to take its head off. So let's assume that the first slash struck it down and the second slash took its head off. I mean, that's not a fearsome beast. That's like swatting a fly. I, if I, if I swat a fly, I often have to hit it twice to make sure he's done the same thing with the Jabberwock. What if the Jabberwock's actually just really small? It's never really mentioned. What if Jabberwock's just like, yeah, really small? And it sort of just comes running through the woods and he goes, oh, <laughs> cuts one, he's down, and then bang, head off. Yeah. Well, all we know is it's got jaws that bite and claws that catch. But, you know, that could be anything, isn't it? That could be a kitten. Kittens have got jaws. Dog, yeah. Yeah, it could be anything. Did you kill a dog in this poem? Yeah, mate, battered oh, man. <laughs> Sliced him with my vorpal blade. Cut him right Everyone up. said, no, don't. But I just, yeah, sliced him. Yeah. Do you have a premier product or sensational service that Poetry Bloke listeners would love? Advertise with us to reach an audience who love to laugh, are obviously very cool and sophisticated, and have immaculate taste. I mean, they're here listening to this gold, aren't they? Go to poetryblokes.com forward slash advertising to advertise with us today. So, you can kill the Jabberwock really easily. In fact, I mean, this is quite a short poem, and there's a lack of context, also a lack of detail, really, like, you're describing some great hunt. He's rattled through the story pretty quickly, to be fair. He's left it for dead, he's got his head, and he goes galumphing back. Quite like the word galumphing. Yeah, what feeling or state of mind does that evoke? You were galumphing back somewhere. Oh, I took it more literally than that, unsurprisingly. The galumphing is the sound that a horse's hooves make on a leafy ground. Oh, okay, so yeah, he's on a horse. Oh yeah, he may well be. So galumph. I thought uh, galumphing would be like, skipping back but heavier because he's in armour or something because he's just killed something. Yeah, he's carrying a head as well. The head of a small yeah. dog. That way you're down slightly. Yeah. And he comes back and his dad's there. Yeah, and his dad's all over it. His dad starts with a warning but he comes back and he says, oh, and hast thou yeah. slain the Jabberwock? I feel like a dad would say, I specifically told you to beware the Jabberwock. Yeah, you've, you've deliberately disobeyed me. I don't care yeah. that you've killed it successfully. I told you to not. I told you to beware it. And now here you are, having killed it. That's the opposite of what I told you to do. We were in extended mediation with the Jabberwock and we were coming to a conclusion about the taxation. And now you've killed him and you've ruined it. And forever there will be... If anything... Hatred. If anything, Stephen, you've exacerbated things. Because now we've got to go to the council of the Jabberwocks. Yeah, the Jub-Jub bird and the Bandersnatch council will be unhappy with this. notoriously belligerent. You've ruined years of progress. (laughs) Generations of progress. Violence is not always the answer. (laughs) 
<laughs> Jeez, when would you learn? But no, this dad's pumped. I said beware, and actually what you did is went out, defied my word, and sliced the head off the Jabberwock, and I'm loving it. Well done. Frabjous joy, everybody. Frabjous day, sorry. It's a frabjous day. Uh, it has a good laugh about it. It laughs at the death of an animal. He chorted in his joy. <laughs> what uh, Don't like his dad. Unbelievable. Don't like the son, don't like the dad. I hope he wasn't involved in the mediation, to be honest. He doesn't seem like he's fit for public office. No, my note said his dad is an idiot. Same. <laughs> I like how the, the last stanza then just sort of sets the scene as being exactly the same as when the poem started. Yeah, everything goes right back to the beginning again. So he just repeats it. So clearly Lewis Carroll ran out of ideas and just thought, the editor wants another stanza on the end of that. I'll just rewrite the first one again. Don't worry about that. But also it suggests things were all right when the Jabberwock was around. Because this is how the poem started out and the Jabberwock was alive. And now he's been killed. Still the same. Yeah. Still breathing. Everyone was guy and gimbling in the wave. Yeah. Senseless death. It's a really senseless death. And it's because of that sort of behaviour that so many species were hunted to extinction. In the Victorian era, no less. Victorian era. Was Lewis Carroll Victorian era? He was, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. It's an indicament. Indictment? That's not a word. An indictment. There you go. There you go. (laughs) An indictment of. We've been reading a nonsense poem. You literally can't make up words now. It's not allowed. Well, if Lewis can do it, I can do it. Well, Shakespeare did it loads as well, didn't he? In uh, his place. And I just wonder whether, like, what was the audience reaction when he made up a word? I mean, loads of words have entered the English language now because of Shakespeare. If he said it on the stage, would, like, everybody in the audience be like, that's not a word? I feel like I would have found him tiresome. Actually, in the Elizabethan era, everyone just went to the theatre because it was like a place to go and you could drink gin and rum and stuff or whatever. And everyone got heckled and they got shoved over when they were trying to walk on stage and people, like, swore and spat at them. So maybe they just didn't care. Maybe they just didn't care. But I care. And what I'm saying is, indicament, it's not a word. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. That's your fault, putting this poem in front of me and screwing up my brain. I knew this would be challenging because it's kind of, it is literally... All of the things you hate in a poem. Yeah. Not only is it fantasy, but it's also nonsense. Literally nonsense. Just not for me. Just not for me. Well, I mean, to be fair, it's probably, it's probably for children. I mean, it's this, the extract that I'm reading at the moment is taken from the Random House book of poetry for children. So when you say it's not for you, it's quite literally not for you or me. Would you read this story to your child? No, I'm going to read them textbooks and show them diagrams and stuff. That's what it's going to be like in my house. None of this using your imagination nonsense. <laughs> my wife's in charge of the imagination side of things. Can I come round on the imagination part as well? Maybe I could be somewhere in the middle. I don't know. Are you offering to help bring up my child? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I want some input, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure what manner. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, this I do. I know exactly the figure I want to be, and it's the figure that no one wants there, really. Is that I want to turn up and for you and your wife to be like, come on, get dressed or tidy up and blah, blah, blah. And I want to walk in and they go, oh, Matt. And then they run over and I go, shall we just forget all these losers and we'll just go and get ice cream right now? And they go, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And I walk out the door and shut the door behind me and then we just go and get ice cream and sweets. And I come back and then they throw up everywhere. Um, but then somehow they're like, I love it when Matt comes around. He's always so much fun. That's what I want. <laughs> I just yeah. want to drop in and out, cause some chaos, leave. I mean, I feel like we're going to grow apart, unfortunately. Oh, is that because you're going to be strict? No, I just don't want that sort of behaviour in my life, if that's the person you want to be. Maybe the child does. Maybe the child is just dying to burst out after you read a 19th century tome on agricultural (laughs) equipment. (laughs) 
You can go out and have fun with Matt once you finish studying the plow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's a fair compromise. <laughs> What's Steph gonna teach? Like Oh no, Steph's in charge she... of everything, isn't he? Isn't she really? Like she's in charge of all fun. Yeah, that's fair. She's a very fun individual. Tell you what we could do. Or well, you could obviously be in charge of, but you'd need a second person to help out. We debate. When the age comes where like actual debating. We can occupy different sides of an argument each, obviously, and then debate against each other and just force the child to watch until it's old enough that we feel that it can debate. Good idea. Effectively by itself. And then we just sub them in. I'll be in charge of debate and strategy. I love that, just standing at the sidelines being like, no, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) A whole special life to ruin. And unfortunately, the Jabberwock will not be part of it because of its poor example. It's senseless violence, little to no respect. For taxation and no respect to the elders, actually. No respect of elders in this poem. There's no respect no for respect anybody of... in this. It's just a tale of, of violence, of dismay. It's a sad. I don't like it. I don't like anything about it. Sympathies with the Jabberwock in this one. Yeah, it really is. Really is. Didn't do anything wrong. Do you want to hear a little bit about Lewis Carroll? Mm, I'm on the fence about that. Well, you might well be on the fence. It might be a short podcast if we don't do it. So yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, first of all, Lewis Carroll was a pseudonym. His real name was Charles Lutwidge Dodgson, which is quite the name. Yeah. And he was born in Daresbury, Cheshire, in England, on the 27th of January, 1832. He was the son of a Cheshire parson, obviously, because he was born in Cheshire. Uh, and he grew up in a large family which enjoyed composing magazines and putting on plays. So I can only assume a, a family from your own nightmares, Rich. Yeah, it's like the antithesis of my family. In 1851, he went to Christchurch, Oxford. And by 1855, he was a fellow. So that was quick. What was the first date again? 1851. Four years to get to a fellow. Yeah, that's ridiculous. There's some money exchanging hands there, lubricating the old greasy pole. Well, speaking about lubrication, being a fellow necessitated celibacy. So there's probably very little lubricating going on. Oh, God, what a horrible segue that was. Hey, it's your fault, man. Who brought up lubrication? He was actually a lecturer in mathematics. Oh. Not in English. This is a great line and also just adds to the weirdness. He occupied a tower in the college for the rest of his life. (laughs) I quite like that. That's quite a nice way to be remembered. The guy who occupied the tower. Get out of my tower. <laughs> Just hurtling bricks off the top. You stay away from my tower. Like the wizard in Sword of the Stone, who I love, Merlin. Carroll wrote many books on mathematics and logic, and I have to say I've never read any of them. And he enjoyed inventing puzzles and games, and also playing croquet. I mean, who doesn't love croquet? Mm, it's a good game. Big sticks. Here's some of the weirdness. His love of paradox and nonsense, and his fondness for small children led to the writing of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, a story which he began while rowing Lorena, Alice and Edith, the three small daughters of the college dean, H.G. Liddell, up the Thames for a picnic near Binsey. A sequel, Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There, appeared in 1871. Interviewed when she was old, Alice remembered Lewis Carroll as tall and slender, with blue-grey eyes, longish hair, and carrying himself upright almost more than upright, as if he had swallowed a poker. Mm. He published Phantasmagoria and other poems in 1869, The Hunting of the Snark in 1876, 
and Sylvie and Bruno in 1889. So he obviously seems to be a fan of the senseless hunting and killing of nonsense animals. Yeah. Apparently he received wheelbarrows full of letters during his career. A letter register he started in his late 20s and kept for the rest of his life records more than 98,000 letters sent and received. Oof. Many of these were on religious and political issues, while others were full of light-hearted nonsense, which obviously he loves. He excelled in staged photographs, many of children in costume and other friends, including Dante, Gabriel Rossetti, Holman Hunt and Alfred Lord Tennyson. He died at the age of 65 of pneumonia in Guildford. Wow. So yeah, bit of a weird one, Lewis Carroll, sort of known for hanging around with children and also taking photographs of them a lot. Apparently with the consent of the children's parents, but anything to do with the Victorian era just makes me a bit... It was all a bit weird then. I mean, that's weird generally, but the Victorian era, when you look into the Victorian era, you're like, everything seems weird and wrong. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a strange time. He sounds like an oddball to me. I wouldn't hang out with him, I don't reckon. No, I don't think I would either. I've already hung out with one mathematician in my life, and that's enough. Is that Chris? Yeah, it's Chris, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, mate. Do you want to go through our engineer's overview of this poem, Richard? Yeah, why not? Let's tell the listeners what an engineer's overview is. Yes. So after Rich reads the poem, he writes an engineer's overview, which is a more direct and concise overview of the key points of the poem as Rich sees them. So... On that note, I'll hand over to Richard for his engineer's overview of Jabberwocky. Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. Blah, blah, blah. Beware a dangerous monster, son. I'm going to kill it. Did you kill it? Yes. Blah, blah, blah. The end. Moving words, Rich. Thanks very much for another cracking podcast episode. Please join us next week when we look at The Owl and the Pussycat by Edward Lear. I'm also drinking Guinness. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a well-known poem you'd like us to discuss? Or maybe you've written your own engineer's overview you'd like to share. And if you have an embarrassing poetry-related story, well, then you definitely have to get in touch. Go to poetryblokes.com forward slash submissions now to let us know all about it and you could play a part in the next show. Poetry Blokes is created and hosted by Matthew Adamo and Richard Gochran. Our theme music is Press Start by The Laszlo Project. Buy their music by going to bandcamp.com and searching The Laszlo Project. Our producer is Dominic Gore.